here in the garden. And this week we start a new series. What, what is that? I don't, I don't know how that got up there. I, I don't, is there a virus in the computer or something? It's going to be low 90s, 85% humidity today. Sure feels like a hockey town to me, right? Go Bolts. All right. Um, today we start a new series called Grace and Religion Equals Oil and Water. It's on the book of Galatians that we're going to go through for the next 13 weeks, and we're going to take this incredible book, this short but very powerful book of Galatians, and study it. And you guys know one of the things that I love to do, I, the way I love to preach is I love to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and build the precepts that are in a book. That's, that's kind of my preferred way. And, and so this summer, we get an opportunity to go through this book of Galatians. And I want to encourage you, this is a great chance for you, if you're struggling with how to read the Word during the week on your own and have your own devotional life and things like that, I want to encourage you, this is the time to really help you get started by reading Galatians as we go along, and we, and we share it each week. Megan will be preaching, and Bruce will be preaching, and, and we're going to have 13 weeks of Galatians. Today's message is kind of an introductory message to the book of Galatians, and it's called No Room for Others, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to give you some fun facts from Galatians. Like, if you ever have, like, a Bible trivial pursuit night, and Galatians is the topic, after this series, you will win a pie. A little piece of pie they put in the thing there. Trivial pursuit, right? All right. First of all, did you know that Galatians was Paul's first missionary trip? We actually talked about that a couple of weeks ago in one of our last sermon series on this uh, lectionary series on Matthew that we did. And we talked about how he went to this place that was not Jewish, and he went and he preached the gospel, and many Gentiles became Christians. And it was a very exciting thing. Galatians was Paul's first epistle that he wrote. It was written about 15 years after Christ's death and resurrection. So give you an idea of when that took place. It was his first missionary trip. It was his first letter that he wrote to one of the churches that he had planted, one of these churches in these Gentile regions. The other thing I want you to know that the Galatian faith was very exciting. The church at the time, the early church, the first century church, was extremely pumped about the Galatians and their faith. <clears throat> it's kind of like how you would feel if you had been praying for a close friend or family member for years and they had just been given the gift of faith. Or kind of like how you would feel if you were a Lightning fan in Game 7 watching the Lightning beat the Rangers to nothing. Woo! <laughs> Preach it, brother. All right. But they were very excited about what was going on. It was the buzz. It was the buzz. It was the end thing that the first, the first century church was talking about. Have you heard about what's going on in Galatians? These people, they have no idea about Judaism. They don't know about the temple. They don't know about Isaiah. And they're trusting Jesus and God is saving them. And, and Paul and his guys are working miracles over there. It's crazy what's going on. And because of that... There are many preachers that were going to Galatia. They were hoping to kind of glob on to the excitement, kind of like you people that bought lightning hats in the last week, globbing on to the excitement. 
really getting on to it, you know, and they were going, I bought a lightning hat this week, by the way, so I'm not judging you, so, but they're going to the region, and here's what they want to do, they want to insert their opinion of the gospel, namely, that salvation, and here's what these other preachers are preaching, they're preaching that salvation is a combination of faith and works. They want to kind of say, well, yeah, I'm involved in Galatia too. I'm there too. Yes, it's exciting, and part of the reason it's exciting is because I'm going there preaching, and I'm preaching something a little different from Paul, and God's using that too, so it's not just Paul's message, it's our message as well. So there's a little bit of competition going on. But then Paul makes it very clear in his letter which is basically a response to these false teachers, he makes it very clear that there is one opinion that matters when it comes to the gospel. And that is the one that they were taught by him and Barnabas. So with that in mind, I'm going to read you the passage today so you've got an idea of where we are with Galatians. I'm going to read you the first part, then I have some that I'm going to put up there. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me greet the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the goodwill of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how he starts it with a little bit of an introduction. This is who I am. Don't forget about me. And I greet you with all the people who work with me. And I greet you in the gospel that has everything to do with God. And then look what he puts next. <clears throat> Paul's a little bit of a trash talker sometimes. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you before, then let him be accursed. Wow. As we have said before, so now I say again. And he just kind of repeats himself just to make sure that somebody didn't get his point. If any is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seek, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let's go through real quick. First of all, I want you to see that there is a gospel in Galatians with authority. <clears throat> Verses 1 and 2, he talks about Paul, an apostle, sent by Jesus, not by any man. Basically, Paul is saying, look, you don't, you don't know, you better ask somebody. I'm in charge here when it comes to the gospel. He says, I'm appointed by Jesus. He also says, I'm with a bunch of friends. Remember us? I am not by myself on this. I am not alone. And he writes to specific people. He says, I'm writing to you in Galatia. He's, he's reminding them of the connection he had when they very the very first day they trusted Christ, it was him there preaching. Of course, to the churches in Galatia to which I started. In other words, 
Listen carefully to what I have to say. So he starts off Galatians chapter 1. This is Paul. This is the apostle appointed by Jesus. I was there. I preached the gospel to you through Jesus Christ in Galatia. Remember the connection. Listen to me. So that's the first thing. We have a gospel with authority. Then we have a gospel-filled greeting. It says grace and peace. And he, and he explains that this peace is from grace, which is undeserved favor. It's grace, undeserved favor, and peace, comfort, joy. You know, a lot of us struggle with anxiety when it comes to our faith. I shared with you a few weeks ago some of the struggles that I have. But what Paul is saying here is it's grace, undeserved favor, that gives peace. And where does it come from? It comes from God and Jesus who died. It's from God's power, not the rules of men, that we get grace and peace and salvation. Jesus died for our sin, delivers us from evil. It's his work, not the work of men. So it's not the rules of men and it's not the work of men that saves us. And it's according to the will of God. We get grace and peace according to the will of God, he says. To those whom he is called. It's not men's rules. It's his power. It's not men's work. It's his work on the cross. And it's not men's will. It's his will. So therefore, he makes it very clear, God gets all the credit. I've shared this with you before. Here's an ultimate test of truth. If you're wondering if something you hear is true... When it comes to scripture and the gospel, there's a very simple, foolproof way to know. If it tries to give man any credit, it's a lie. If it gives God all the credit, it's true. Period. And that's the theme of Galatians. So it's a gospel with authority, a gospel-filled greeting, and then it's a gospel that stands alone. In verses 6 through 10, he says, look, there's only one gospel... Anybody else comes to you preaching something else? They're wrong. And he says other gospels are big trouble. He says there are some who are preaching to you a false gospel and they're causing you a lot of trouble. Guys, listen to me. This is important. The best way for the enemy to cause trouble is to take truth and just distort it just a little bit. Take truth and give it to us through the prism that maybe tries to look, make it look like it's not really the same but close enough. Any other message, Paul says, is poison. Bad preaching is big trouble. And then he even says, you need to trust me over angels. He says, if I came to you and preached a different gospel, not only that, if an angel from heaven came to you and preached a different gospel than the one I preached to you that very first day when the Holy Spirit came down and gave you the gift of faith, even if an angel comes, let that angel be cursed. Wow. Whenever someone tells you the Lord has given me a new word, or they claim a magical experience with God that has given them an authoritative message for you to hear, as your pastor, I give you permission to turn and run. Because I promise you, even if what they say is good, and it could be, I promise you, this, and this is a bold statement, maybe it'll offend some of you, you can live without their new revelation. You know why? 
Because all you need is the gospel. The other stuff is superfluous. The other stuff is stuff that you don't need. If you want to listen to it, but you, you don't need it. You don't need somebody else's new word from God to be connected to God in a special way. Do you understand what I'm saying? All you need is the word of God. All you need is the gospel. You don't need anything else. Even if it comes from an angel. And Paul says, I don't care who's offended. <laughs> he says, am I trying to please man? Listen to me. I don't care. My power doesn't come from men. I'm not trying to please man. I'm a servant of Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus. Any other gospel is false. It's a lie. It causes trouble. It's poison. And I don't care who gets mad at me for saying it. Note Paul's fearless commitment to the gospel. And what was this false gospel that Paul was attacking? Here's basically what happened. Many Jews who had embraced Christ but could not let go of human responsibility that Judaism brought. Remember Judaism said, you come to the temple, you do the sacrifices, you do all these different things, and then you can have connection with God. They were trying to mix that, those old habits that die hard with the new message of the gospel of faith they were trying to combine the gospel and some were seeing this so that's some people some were well-meaning jews that couldn't get rid of the old habits some were seeing it as an opportunity to gain influence and even money in the region look there's something going on there's this new thing called the church in galatia i'm going to get me a piece of that pie kind of like lots of tv preachers today can do who preach a soft-pedaled prosperity gospel. False teachers were saying that human works were necessary not just for salvation, but for blessing. So in other words, you needed human works along with Christ's work on the cross. And when they do that, they cheapen the work of Christ, saying it's not quite good enough. You need to help Jesus a little bit. They were teaching that the gospel was, and I'm going to give you some new words today, a synergistic system instead of a monergistic system. Let me explain. Here's synergism. You're dead. There's a life preserver. All you need to do is reach out of the grave and grab it, and God will save you. Here's monergism. You're dead, hopeless, Jesus reaches down with a hook and pulls you out of the grave and makes you alive. One is, it's kind of like Jesus is fishing, hoping that a dead person will grab onto the gospel and work with him. Monergism says they're hopeless without me and the Spirit. I'm going to go and get them. Synergism and monergism. I'll give you some definitions. For those of you that aren't visual and like words, salvation, here's synergism comes to the word synergy, right, working together. Salvation requires initial and ongoing cooperation between grace and human accomplishments. <clears throat> Synergism says that not only do you have a part in saving yourself, but you also are partially responsible for keeping yourself saved. Can I ask you a question? How would that bring peace? 
If you are responsible not only for getting yourself saved, but then you're responsible for keeping yourself saved, how many of you have a lot of confidence in your ability to do that? Because I can promise you, I can promise you, if it were in my situation, I would be unsaved more than I am saved. So synergism says you need God's work along with man's work on a continual basis. That's hopeless. Monergism says this, salvation is solely the initial and ongoing work of grace from God in spite of human depravity. Matter of fact, Paul says, he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of your salvation. Monergism says this, you are hopeless, you are helpless, and God loved you anyway, and God saves you, and he keeps you saved, and it's his power and his grace and his work that keep you in Christ. Monergism says that it's up to God to call you. It's up to God to enable you to believe in the gift of faith and also to keep you until the day of salvation. And by the way, later on this summer, in tremendous detail, you will see this explained in the book of Galatians. So there we go. So let's talk a little bit more about synergism. What does synergism require of you? You'll like this. Put half your hope in you. My hope is in Jesus and my ability to keep hoping. My hope is in Jesus and my ability to look like I'm hoping. That's what, first thing about synergism, put half your hope in you. Second thing, you have to appease and cooperate with God to some degree that somehow satisfies some sort of standard that really cannot be defined. Like, think about this. If, if synergism is true and we have to work with God, I would really like to know exactly what the standard is. Wouldn't you? Because I'd like to check up on things every once in a while. Like, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and I was pretty sinful driving down US 41 today. I wonder if my side of synergism has let me down today. I would never sleep. You know what else? What are the rules of synergism? What exactly are the things that I must do to make synergism work for me? And how important is timing? Follow this? Since we could die at any moment, right? You guys understand that. Synergism is almost like salvation Russian roulette. Like you could be going along and you could be doing bad with synergism and then die. Boy, that was a badly timed heart attack right there, buddy. Yes, I know you trusted me like 10 years ago, and you were doing good like seven out of those 10 years. But today, right before your heart attack, you had some really bad thoughts about your neighbor. Right before your heart attack, you were doing okay, but then you stole some money, or you relapsed in your addiction, or you were gossiping. And so now, because of synergism, you have no peace. 
Let me ask you a question. If synergism is true, can we build up some sort of savings account? Well, look, yes, I know right before my heart attack, I cut somebody off or I was lying or I had a bad thought in my life or, or maybe I was immoral right before I died, but I was doing so good for seven years, I built up a little bit of a reserve, right? Can you build up a savings account with synergism? Because if not, we're in trouble. Yes, I committed adultery right before I died, but I gave $50,000 to the church last year, so I'm okay. What about emotions? How do emotions play a part? Can we trust them? Could we feel like we are in the sweet spot when it comes to synergism, but maybe aren't? You follow what I'm saying? Like, what if, like, okay, I believe in the hope in Jesus and my hope in myself, and I feel really good about it. Can your emotions deceive you? You see what happens here? The more you go down this road of synergism, the more you realize how impossible it is to have any peace, which is one of the things, by the way, that Paul said, grace and peace to you. You can't have peace with synergism. You can't experience grace if you are a key ingredient in making peace and grace a reality in your life. Because what we find is this. Our efforts don't justify us. Our efforts show how much we need justification. Every time I try, I fall short. Even Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I continually do. I'm constantly fighting with the flesh. Synergism shows us not that we can be justified, but just how much we need justification. Because our works suck. All our righteousness, the scripture says is as filthy rags. And if I really parsed down and gave you the original language of what the phrase filthy rags means, I would be fired. I'm not kidding. It's disgusting. Here's what monergism requires. You ready? That's it. The gift of faith. And Paul says... I'm stunned that you would turn your back on the gift of faith to embrace hope in yourself. Jesus has called you. He's given you life. You can't have grace and peace outside of the true gospel. The gift of faith. Guys, this is the whole theme of Galatians. That the gospel alone is enough. That the cross of Jesus is enough. And anyone who says otherwise is a liar. Even if they say they heard it straight from God himself, or by some dream, or by the Holy Spirit, or by an angel, Paul says, if anyone says they have another gospel besides the one I've preached to you, let them be cursed. There is no new message. Listen carefully. There is no new message that God will ever add to the gospel, period. It's all you'll ever need. And there is no room for any other gospel or any addition to the gospel. And what is that gospel? We are helpless, depraved sinners, unable to transform ourselves 
And Jesus, who lived a sinless life, came to earth, died on our behalf because he did not have to die for his own sin. And because he was God, overcame the power of the grave and was resurrected. Remember last week you talked about it? Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Where are you at, death? And then through the Holy Spirit, they give us faith, which is what? It's a gift. There is no need for any addition. That's the gospel. And over the next 13 weeks, Paul will ruthlessly explain why. Before we sing our